Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome back to the Canadian Investor Podcast. I'm Simon Belanger, joined by my co-host, Braden Dennis. Um, we're going to talk today about a few different things. Uh, we're going to start uh, by talking about uh, converting Canadian dollars to U.S. dollars and a good way that uh, Braden has found out to do that and save on fees. After that, I'm going to break down um, options contracts for you guys. Keep it as simple as possible, and then we'll finish about uh, some general market discussion and uh, you know some thoughts to have when you're trying to decide whether to sell or not a stock. Um, so before we get started, Braden, how's it going in Toronto? It's good, man. Back in Toronto, I've been living up at my cottage um, or wherever you're from in Canada. You might call it a cabin here in southern Ontario. We call it a cottage. I've been living up there, but I am in Toronto in the city. Uh, for a couple days and then heading back up. The weather has been outrageously good. And uh, yeah, what's what's going on in Ottawa? Uh, it's, I mean, just, you know, living the dream. Uh, now stuff is starting to reopen more and more. Um, just been enjoying the outdoors. I think we're pretty lucky in Ottawa for that. We have a, uh, a lot of federal um, parks around the area that we can enjoy. There's one on the Quebec side. So we've been going there for walks with the dog, um, enjoying the lakes. Um, so don't have a, a cabin or a cottage, but I've uh, still, still been enjoying the outdoors and the really nice weather. Right on, man. All right. So how to, like people ask me like, oh, should I buy US stocks? I'm worried about the currency conversion. Fair enough. I have the perfect solution for you and a full guide that Simon is going to link uh, from my site into the show notes so that you can refer to it when you actually go to do this because this will give you the gist of what you're going to do. But when it comes down to doing it, if you've never done it before, this guide will show you step-by-step step with screenshots. So my screenshots are from using Quest Trade, but you can use any of the, like, you can use your broker, long story short. So this is what I think the most elite way to convert CAD to USD without paying that currency conversion. Like, if you go to the bank, you're going to pay a couple percents. Uh you know, Quest Trade, for instance, charge two percent right on right on top there. So you're paying not only the the convert the you know whatever that conversion is, but also a fee to do it. So to avoid that fee and just pay the equivalent of one trade. So you know, if you're using a bank, it's ten bucks. If you're using um, Quest Trade, it's only going to be four ninety five to sell the ETF, which is really nice. So okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. What this strategy is called is Norbert Norbert's Gambit. And Norbert's Gambit is a really, really awesome method of converting CAD to USD by taking advantage of the fact that some things can be listed on both a Canadian exchange and a US exchange. So back before... Horizons came up with an ETF to do this really, really simply um, with an ETF. You would just pick like a really active stock that's traded both on CAD and and uh, trade on like the TSX and the New York Stock Exchange, like TD, for instance, 
with ha- which has lots of trade volume, so you're not going to be uh, you know worrying about too much volatility. You would buy TD on the TSX, journal it over to the New York Stock Exchange, and then sell it on the New York Stock Exchange, and now your money's in USD. So it's the exact same concept, except Horizons came out with an ETF that you can do this and then journal it over to the to a U.S. exchange, and then you have USD. Okay, so step one, you buy the Horizons ETF, ticker DLR, like dollar, DLR. So DLR.TO because it's on the TSX. Okay, so step one, buy DLR. Now, you can buy it at, uh, at limit order, and it'll fill instantly. If you buy it at market, it'll also fill instantly. Again, the spread on bid ask is usually only one penny. So it's not a big deal if you pay an extra penny and do it at market. Um, I, I always just limit at the, at the ask price. So I'm going to pay that penny, and it's going to fill instantly. Okay. Now you're going to call your broker or chat with your broker, whatever contact method it has, like with Quest Trade, you can, I just use the, the, the email option and they respond that day saying, yeah, the, the journal has started. So you're going to say, can you please journal my DLR shares to DLR.U, okay? DLR.U is the US listed version of DLR, Okay. So this takes a total of four days for the journal to happen. So you're going to buy the stock, the ETF, DLR. You're going to ask your broker to journal it, journal it over to DLR.U, okay? Four days later, four business days later, check your brokerage, and you will now have DLR.U in U.S. dollars, okay? All you have to do now is sell DLR.U in U.S. dollars. So I just sell it limit order at the bid price, and it'll fill instantly. Again, there's a one penny spread on the bid ask. So now you're going to sell DLR.U, and now you have U.S. dollars you can use directly in your brokerage account to buy any U.S. stock. So in the Quest Trade example... You have now only paid $4.95 because buying ETFs is free and selling ETFs is the normal trade commission of $4.95. So now you have done all of that and you've only paid $4.95 instead of 2% on the money. So on 1000 bucks, normally you're paying the, the 2%, 20 bucks. You know, and that scales, obviously, as you keep going up. So... What is the only, like, what's the, uh, what's the, uh, the problem with this? Or, you know, there's got to be a catch, right? There only, there's only one sort of mini catch, and I think it's not worth even worrying about whatsoever, is that during that four-day period of it journaling over, it can be favorable or unfavorable between the USD and CAD currency conversion. So this can either make you money or lose you money depending on what happens with the USD and CAD. Now, is there a lot of movements in four days on currency? No. Is it worth worrying about? No. Can you predict it? No. So what you can do is limit your fees by doing this 
for four ninety five with Questrade, or it's it's going to cost you twenty bucks if you're using a bank. So if you're if you're using you know a thousand bucks, then there's no point of doing this because now you have two trades on a bank. So if you're doing ten thousand dollars, for instance, then yeah, you're going to save a a, a, t- a ton of money, even if it is two trades with a bank. Um, so this is a really really elite way to get. US dollars in your brokerage account without paying that percentage fees. And it's more effective the more you're converting. Like if you're just converting a thousand dollars, it's like, yeah, whatever. Is it even worth the four business days? Is it worth emailing them? I don't know. That's up to you. But as soon as you're like ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars, you're moving into USD, this is like an amazing, amazing way to convert money. And even if you, you could probably do this in, you know, another account, if you're going on vacation, I I don't know if I've seen anyone do that mostly for their investment account, but you could probably do that. Say you're going to the States. (laughs) I don't know who's going to the States anytime soon though, Simon, the uh, border just uh, has been uh, declared closed for another month. Like, is this surprising to you? What's going on? Uh, I mean, not really. Have you, have you seen that? Like, I don't want to laugh, but holy shit, huh? Like, how bad is it in terms of cases in the States? It's insane. Like, it's what, like, Florida just broke a record of, like, 15,000 daily new cases. Like, that's crazy. Just Florida. Um, I know, I mean, I'm not looking to go to the state anytime soon. And I think 80% they did a, um, a poll and apparently about 80% of Canadians do not want Americans coming over until the situation gets better in the state. So, uh, yeah. Wow. You could probably. Yeah, I, I, I saw a map that shows which countries are allowing U.S. passports to enter the country. There was only one country in the Middle East. It was really, I couldn't zoom in on the map, didn't know which one. And a small little country in Africa. That was it. That was it. So anyways, I digress. This is the most elite way to get U.S. dollars in your brokerage to buy those U.S. stocks you like. Uh, This is what I do in my RRSP because I buy U.S. stocks in my RRSP to avoid withholding tax. Uh, This is a really good way to do it. When you are ready to do it, you want to do it, the link is in the show notes or you go uh, stratosphereinvesting.com and it's on there. It's on the blog page. But Simon, link this in the the show notes and people will be able to to follow the guide. I've laid it out really, really simply for everyone. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I know for Questrade too, um, because before you told me about that, I converted a few times Canadian to US and... It takes them a few days to do it the normal way anyways. So it's not like the four days is actually an actual like four days time. If you compare it to the the usual process, I think it takes them a couple of business days anyway. So. Mm, yeah. And that's a, good, that's a good point. But also I would say it was like hardly not even worth it uh, before I realized that you can just send them an email with the request. Because calling them is such a pain. You're on hold for a while. So, I mean, that's what you get when you're paying for, you know, a, a, the lowest fees possible. Chances are you're going to get the lowest support possible. So, the email option is really fast. Day of, you're going to get that journal entry going. So, uh, definitely better than calling them. And on my guide there, the, the email address to uh, to send that to Questrade is listed as well. So, Simon, you're going to give the lowdown on options uh, option contracts have been more 
popular than ever. Uh, I think there's been more trading than ever. So I, you, you got to see. You got. You would have to think that all this speculation in the market has uh, some correlation with all the option contracts flying around. Yeah, and just before I get started, just kind of a uh, you know little caution here. This is just an overview of option of stock options. There's different kind of option contracts. You can get like very complex options contract. Um, the stock options. There's really two main stock op- types of stock options, but you can get options on bonds. You can get options on commodities, but really. We're going to be talking about stocks, so keep that in mind. And if it's something you're interested, like read more about it. Uh, I know, uh, you know, uh, what's the the books for dummies? I think they have a pretty good starting point in terms of just understanding stock options and the various strategies. So that could be a good start. But there's all sorts of books out there. Just make sure if that's something you're interested in, you read more. Um, really, my main goal is just so you guys, um, everyone that might not be familiar with options, if you happen to you know, watch CNBC or you hear that word, you'll actually have a better understanding of what it is. Um, so yeah, before we get started to um, as an extra uh, sign of caution, I think I told you, Braden, about the guy um, that... Uh, took away his own life in the US. Um, it was, I think, Robin Hood. So he was trading options and he didn't really understand what he was doing, but also how the app actually worked. And um, he thought he had a loss when he didn't and eventually really felt overwhelmed. And in his letter that he provided to his family, he was basically pointing that that was the cause. So obviously it's a sad thing to see. Um, I just want to create a bit more awareness of what stock options is are yeah yeah that dude that story uh the young kid trading options on his robin how to count like literally broke my heart and it's you're seeing a lot of people just kind of throw money around uh and options seems to be a really popular way of day trading because of the kind of outsized potential um, if you execute these option trades correctly and, and Simon can go into detail about them, but yeah, I mean, there definitely needs to be more education out there on these types of financial instruments. And that's why, you know, after you go on this, I'll, I'll just say my take, you know, investing is simply just owning long positions and not worrying about it too much and just not worrying too much about the noise and the other all these other instruments you can short stocks when people say they're going long on something they just mean they're holding the stock and and they're and they're they're buying and holding for a long period of time and that has proved to be the most profitable long term so yeah i I, anyways go ahead yeah totally agree and you don't need to be you know purchasing or getting into options so you know buying and holding is a perfectly fine strategy so okay let's start with the basics so what are stock options so a stock option is a contract that gives you the ability to buy or sell shares of a company at a predetermined price um, one option and one contract option that's really important to understand is equal a hundred shares so if i have one option to buy Amazon shares, for example, it'll give me the right to buy a hundred Amazon shares. So just keep that in mind. Obviously, you know, if you're looking at the price of Amazon shares, that would be uh, quite pricey. But just keep that in mind. One option contract is equal a hundred shares. 
Options have a specific time frame and end date. So there's a contract, whether it's six months, a year, three months, there is an end date for that. And options can gain in value, but can also become completely worthless. Um, so there's really two main types of stock option. You have call options and put options. So we'll start off with call options. So if you buy a call option, it's a contract that gives you the right to buy stocks at a predetermined price for a set amount of time. Generally, uh, you'll want to do this if you're bullish on a certain company. So for that right, the buyer of the call option gives the seller a premium. So I'll give you guys an example just to wrap your head around it. And although the name of the company you'll be very familiar with, the actual share price, I just kind of kept it easy so it's not reflective of what the share price is right now. So the example is that Braden owns 100 shares of BAM. Uh, yes, we just talked about Bam Brookfield um, Asset Management, which is currently trading at $10 per share. So I decided to buy an option contract from Braden that gives me the right to buy Bam shares at $11 of shares for six months. So that $11 a share is also known as the strike price. So if you hear or you read about option, you'll hear that quite a bit. Uh, so the contract's valid for six months. In exchange for that right, I actually pay Braden a premium of 50 cents a share, so $50 in total because it gives me the right to 100 shares. Um, and that's a premium price that Braden gets in exchange to give me that right. So there's really three main outcomes that you'll get when you, um, you do a call option. Uh, the first one is I decide to sell the option contract. So for example, say in that same scenario, the shares go to $15 a share within two months. Um, for whatever reason, I'm no longer interested in owning BAM, so I decide to sell the option contract to someone else. Because the option contract gives the option to buy shares at $11, I'll be selling the contract around probably $4 a share, so the difference between $11 and $15. It might not be exactly that because you get value in the four months remaining on the option contract, so there is a price to pay for that that time aspect of it. Um, it's really dependent, like that's really important in terms of the time remaining whenever you look at, uh, at stock options. So the last thing you'll need to know in that scenario is the volatility of a stock will play a big role in the value of those contracts as well. So first, first thing that can happen, I don't exercise the contract, but the option is worth more than I got it, so I sell it for a profit. Second possible outcome is I exercise the option contract because I want to own a hundred share of BAMs and the stock price has actually gone up. So again, it's $15 a share after two months. I decide, you know what? I'm all good with buying a hundred shares of BAM at $11. I'm exercising that. The last outcome is the option is either worthless or worth very little. So this would happen if the contract is coming up, so really close to the six month period, and the stock price is lower than the strike price, which is $11. So the option will never, it'll never be totally worthless until, unless you come to the expiry date and it's lower than the, the strike price. If the option is not exercised, then it's pretty simple. Braden keeps his shares of BAM and collects the premium, so that $50 premium that I gave him at the beginning. Um, so 
in this example, it would mean that the price of BAM is actually lower than $11 at the end of the, the contract of the option. So it's, I mean, why would you want to buy or sell an option, a call option? I mean, if you want to buy, it's usually because you're bullish on the company. So in that scenario, I'm bullish on BAM. So I'm like, you know what? I think it'll go at more than $11 a share. So I'm going to buy that option contract for whatever reason. I don't want to hold the shares. There could be various reasons for that. Uh, one of the downsides for me is I cannot collect the dividend because I'm not owning the shares. Um, why would Braden want to do that contract? Well, he collects that premium. So in the last scenario I just gave, I mean, Braden's a pretty, you know, he's a winner in that outcome because he's keeping his shares and he's collecting that premium. Um, but, you know, it could also be that Braden, you know what, he likes BAM, but he's not, he's thinking about selling. Um, so he's like, you know what, I'm going to sell that option, that call option. Worst case, I sell my shares, I collect the premium. Best case, I keep my shares and I still collect the premium. So you have, uh, does that give you a good uh, overview, Braden, of what uh, call options are? It does. It's just that my my mouth keeps watering when I hear bam for <laughs> yeah bam for ten bucks exactly. And I <laughs> when I hear bam for ten bucks, I'm like, oh oh baby. Yeah, maybe they'll split. Sounds the, pretty good. They'll do a stock uh, stock split soon, and it'll go down to ten bucks. <laughs> Knowing them, they'll do some insane stock split and split the whole company up again. Yeah, exactly. So that's the basic of a call option. So it's not it's not overly complicated, but then you can combine, you can have, uh, you know, you can combine options, different types of options with other ones. It gets really complicated and you can have multi-leg options and I'm not well versed in those i know what options the basic ones are uh by all means if you're look you're interested in doing that uh you know do some more research um as a side note i've done some research in terms if they're allowed in registered accounts so rsps tfsas locked in rsps um i couldn't really i found some information saying that uh you know it seems like the cra will allow it um but only really the basic types. And it sounds like it really depends on your brokerage whether they'll allow it or not. Uh, but anyways, if you're going to own stock options in a registered account, I would recommend that you contact the Canada Revenue Agency just to make sure that it is allowed in that registered account. Um, so the second type of option, uh, it's called puts op put options. So put is really the opposite of a call option. So it gives the owner or the buyer of the put the right to sell shares at a predetermined price. So really, it helps protect against the downside. You can almost see it as like insurance if you like. Um, so in the same, in the similar example as earlier, uh, so again, uh, Braden owns 100 shares of BAM, which are currently trading at $10 a share. Uh, however, Braden is scared that BAM may go down and wants to protect his downside. So I agree to sell him a put option at a strike price of $9 per share. In exchange for the right to sell his shares at that $9 price, Braden gives me a premium of $0.50 cents a share or $50 in total because, again, we're still dealing in a 100 share for one contract. The contract is valid for six months. So we got three possible outcomes. First one, Braden sells the contract. So let's say the shares of BAM go down to $6 a share within two months. 
Uh, but Braden, for whatever reason, he's like, you know what? I I had a lapse in judgment and I want to keep my BAM shares. So he can sell his contract, probably profiting about $300. So it's basically the difference between the $6 and the $9 strike price to someone who would be interested in buying his put option. The put a gain in value when the share price goes down as it gives the owner the right to sell at a predetermined price strike price of nine dollars so it's the opposite of the the call option like we uh, we talked earlier second option second outcome is Braden exercises the contract so same situation but Braden decides to sell his shares at a strike price of nine dollars per share when the shares because the shares are now down to six dollars so I have to purchase the shares at $9 a share, even if they're currently selling on the open market for $6 a share, because that's my obligation. The last outcome is the put becomes worthless. So BAM goes up to $15 and we're really close to the end of the contract. So this means that the right to sell, um, Braden has the right to sell his share as $9, but it's worthless because he could sell them on the open market for $15. So that's when it becomes worthless. As a side note, as long as there's still a little bit of time remaining, you can always recoup. It might be pennies on the dollars, but you could. there's always a chance that you could recoup a little bit of the uh the option in terms of price because as long as there's a little bit of time remaining there's always the possibility although maybe very remote that the option becomes profitable by the end of the contract date so this you know this outcome for puts it's this it's good for me because i collect the premium um, if I like the company, then selling a put option to Braden is good for me because I'm selling that when the company is actually trading higher than $9. So the way I see it is like, okay, if it goes down, I mean, I'm still collecting that $50 uh, premium and I get to buy the shares at $9 a share, but they're currently trading at $10. So you still have that upside from my end. For Braden, obviously, um, the... It, the main thing for him is he really protects his downside, but obviously it costs him something to do so. So that's a premium he pays. So really as simple as I could keep it, that's a, that's in a nutshell how call and put option work uh, for stocks. That's, that's a great summary, man. Uh, there's so much to unpack when you're understanding the ins and outs of both sides of the contract. And then again with both puts and calls uh using insurance on puts is definitely the easiest way to understand it just like you have car car insurance or home insurance it's a very very similar concept what i will say is options are based on the speculation of price movement it is entirely to do with share price and as long-term investors like ourselves, I don't put on price targets. I don't listen to price targets. I'm more focused on how that company is executing um, and what are their prospects to be holding this long-term, aka going long. And none of that involves speculating on what the price is, is going to be in a short-term uh, short, short frame. And no one ever 
in the world has consistently determined what prices are going to be on the short term. So on the long term, you know, you have so many good businesses out there. And if you decide options are not for me, good. You just, you just, that's it. You don't have to own options. So I feel like when new investors come out, they know that there's so many instruments out there that they don't know about, or they feel like they're missing out on something, or they feel like they, they need to learn about some complex financial instrument to be able to succeed in the markets. And that just couldn't be uh, further from the truth. So if you're listening to this and go, I am good with my portfolio, I'm going to continue to add to long-term compounders, like give me a props right now because that is fully what Simon and I think you should be doing. But that was a, that was a really good uh, uh, summary of it, Simon. So Simon, let's talk about what you did recently and what we have been texting about back and forth and you know my stance on this but i but i understand why you did it um and it is probably not a bad idea so this is the concept of selling stocks that have really really taken off potentially gone to valuations you would never buy them at uh you know, the market really, really likes this particular sector. So you think that there might be some inherent overvaluedness from that. Um, and that's definitely fits the bill for this company. So Simon, walk us through which company it is and, and what you did recently. Yeah. So the company, you guys will be surprised, but uh, it's Teladoc. So Teladoc has been on a tear since the beginning of the year in the pandemic. I think uh, they're about up uh, 300% just for the year or 250 now. Um, so my cost, I mean, I think it's, uh, if I top of my head, it's about a seven bagger for me based on my costs, uh, Teladoc. So I was looking at it recently last week and Teladoc is selling at 25 times sales. So the valuation is really rich. Um, they're very close to being profitable. So that's, that's a good thing. I still love the company, but with the pandemic and all the speculation that's going on, I think in certain types of stocks in the market, uh, for example, I think we've talked about Tesla before. Um, but Teladoc, I mean, I still love the company long term, but I'm looking at this and I was looking at my portfolio and specifically, it wasn't the biggest portion of my overall portfolio. So if I include my pension, if I include my RSPs, if I include my TFSA, all of it all together, it was about uh, around 15%. Uh, but the problem is it was more than half of my TFSA. And I was thinking about it and it was starting to make me a bit nervous. Um, and I think that's probably the best test for you. If you're wondering if you should sell a company or not, if it's... You're thinking about it a lot. It's making you nervous. That's probably a sign that you should at least sell a portion of your holding. So what I did for Teladoc, I still love the company, is I decided to know I don't have to sell the whole thing. So I only sold 10% uh, of my shares in Teladoc. Um, I kept the rest and that helped me you know, realize some gains on Teladoc, some really good gains. I still have exposure to the company, actually still pretty significant exposure to the company. Uh, but 
it still helps me, you know, it helps me to sleep at night a bit better. So I think that to me applies a lot more for growth stocks. Um, if you have really blue chips, you know, dividend paying companies, um, that's probably not as much of a concern. But if you have a stock like Teladoc that is just trading as insane valuation, and I'm saying that as a shareholder, um, you know, it's up to you whether you think you should be doing that. But it's not like you have to do it all or nothing where you have to completely liquidate your position. You can sell a small portion and still keep a, a big, you know, you know, really substantial stake in that in that holding. So that's that's the reasoning I, I kind of use when I sold those shares. I like that you brought up the actual uh, feeling you had. It was it was making you nervous. And if that's the case, if there's and this goes not for companies that have done really well, this probably goes more for companies that have done horrible and you're looking to get rid of. If it's not if it's help affecting how you're sleeping at night or you keep thinking about it and you just don't feel comfortable owning that shit co, then just get rid of it. Like simply. As for this situation, I am uh you know, a big believer of water the flowers and cut the weeds. Don't sell big winners unless the stock goes like completely parabolic and uh, it's it's mania like yesterday, 40,000 people uh, trading on Robinhood Tesla in, in one hour at its peak, uh, breaking every single record and just kind of spells all the makings of a bubble. Sure. But at 25 times sales, it does seem crazy expensive. But when you look at their income statement, you know, you're making some pretty bold assumptions of that growth rate continues. But in five years, the stock all of a sudden looks cheap on a forward basis. Again, that's built on a massive assumption that growth continues uh, on that like ridiculous 60, 80% year over year revenue growth, which obviously won't consist for a super long period of time law of large numbers but it could continue for up to five five years who knows and this company is obviously executing very well so simon you you barely touch your position 10 percent. You're, you're still buying into that letting this thing run it's obviously has lots of things going for it what definitely crossed your mind and, and i tend to agree with you is because we're in a pandemic, because it's a technology stock, it's being pushed and tested at insane highs and, and, and really high, like 25 times sales is really expensive because it's in the right place of the things that the market likes right now, which makes me nervous because you're kind of overpaying or there's inherent valuation, multiple expansion because it's a sexy name in a pandemic. Uh, so that definitely crossed your mind. But what I will say is the 100 bagger scenario creates really, really impressive wealth in a stock portfolio and will carry uh, a portfolio to, to whatever target goal you're looking for it to do. And, and you got to look back at your goals and think, what are they? What kind of exposure is, is Teladoc too big of an exposure that if something happens or, you know, this multiple 
contracts by half? Is it going to affect my life in a major way? So, so that's, those are questions for you managing your own portfolio. But what I will say is that in that a hundred bagger scenario is there would be so many times that if you were an early investor in some of these like mega trillion market cap companies like Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, there would be times that even if you owned a few shares, it would become such a sizable position in your portfolio that you would immediately feel like, oh my God, this thing's taking over my whole portfolio. Should I sell it? And that's why that whole like, if I only had 100 shares of Amazon at IPO, blah, 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 blah. And the reason that you don't really know anyone that has ever pulled that off or any mutual fund manager that's pulled that off is because those investment professionals have to trim positions if it gets more than, say, 10% of the portfolio. So that's why that never happens, that you know those few shares became you know, hundreds of millions or, or tens of millions of dollars. Those stories don't happen because of that portfolio rules that are kind of set. So if you are a DIY, managing your own portfolio, picking companies you like, a little bit of index funds, whatever you decide to do, and you have something that absolutely takes off, there is no one or no piece of governance telling you that you need to trim it, you need to sell it, it's too much of the portfolio, um, and, and you just don't have to. So with the caveat of, yeah, if it's, if it's affecting your life or making you really nervous, then it's not worth it. But if it's not, and you still have extreme prospects for the company, I mean, if you were an early investor in, in Microsoft, Amazon, um, and Apple, you would have seen, especially in the technology bubble of you know early 2000, late 90s, in 99, you would have seen multiples on Microsoft and Amazon at just outrageous levels. And that's why you saw from like 2002 when it popped to 2016 of October of 2016, Microsoft did not have a positive return. So these things do matter. These like hyperbolic bubble type valuations do matter. But that whole time you witnessed Microsoft and Amazon changing our world. You witnessed that whole time it changing the way we do business and the way we buy things right in front of your eyes. So if you don't have those rules telling you to sell it, you know, maybe Teladoc is the future of medicine, right? Like I, I believe it, it is, I think there's a lot of competition, so I don't know who's going to be the winner, but telemedicine is definitely a top of a large secular trend. What's the best name in the space? Probably Teladoc, right? So these are the kinds of things you have to think about that hundred bagger scenario creates super real wealth, water the flowers, cut the weeds. Simon, I'm happy that you only cut 10%. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And the, the example I wanted to give, too, is you don't need to, it's not an all or nothing. And what Braden said, for sure, you have to, you know, we can't tell you what to do. Only you know, in the end. So you have to really examine yourself, whether, you know, a certain company, whether it's right for you, whether you want to sell it, keep it, sell a portion of it. That's really up to you. But I have sold full positions before. And uh, Brookfield Property Partner is a good example. I did not dollar cost sell at all. 
I just sold the whole thing at once because I just didn't really believe in in the overall company going forward. And, you know, there's also nothing preventing me if, you know, if say Teladoc comes back to earth a year or two from now and I find that it's trading at a reasonable valuation, maybe I'll add more shares. But I'm happy that I still have a very pretty big position in Teladoc. I captured a bit of those gains and... Yeah, maybe in the long run, it'll be worth $1,000 a share, but I'm happy with the choice I made. And, you you know, you'll never you'll never time the peak and you'll never time the bottom. So as long as you're happy and comfortable with that and you know that, I think, you know, you'll be satisfied with your decisions. I was writing about how Shopify on my blog was trading at forward sales numbers that are just really, really high. I wasn't going out and saying the stock was stupid priced or stupid overvalued. I was just saying that you are paying way, way up, which is not a new opinion at all. Uh, you know, forward 60 times sales is just nuts, right? My friend Allie, she bought one share in the low hundreds of Shopify and um, she just had the one share and she kept asking me like, Oh, it keeps going up. Like, should I sell it? Should I sell it? I just kept saying, no, let it, let it, let it ride. The company is doing extremely well and is making a noticeable change in the industry and is becoming a household name. Don't sell the stock as crazy as the valuation might look. You only own one share. So what are you going to do? Completely exit the, the position. So, whether that's your your scenario or it's you know 10 shares whatever the scenario may be if it is making a noticeable impact and becoming that household name like you watched Netflix uh, from its IPO just go to hyper hyper high uh, valuation multiples uh, look super, super valued, overvalued on pretty much every metric and still will today. You watched it change an entire industry over a couple of years, less than a decade. So if that's the scenario, don't sell your winners. All right, guys, I think that does it for this week. We will see you next week. GetStockMarket.com, of course, to go Uh, get a list of high quality compounders that I'm looking at in my portfolio all the time. Final call for beta testers, Stratosphere Stratosphere 2.0. I'm building a new web app that's going to be really, really great. Uh, Braden, B-R-A-D-E-N at stratosphereinvesting.com. Send me an email. This is my last call. Uh, I'm going to close it very soon. Timing looks like September. We will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.